does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Good Monday morning to you. Kevin and Query here on what is another beautiful looking start to this week in Indianapolis. I'm Kevin Bowen, Jay Query, and Mark Dykton alongside. You guys, I was thinking about this on the drive in. You know, when you see the calendar June 5th, you're in a market that doesn't have a Major League Baseball team. You're kind of like, boy, it's quiet time for sports, this and that. Got to thinking, like, this is actually a pretty busy time, locally and nationally here. Um, From a national angle, of course, we've got a real NBA Finals series after what the Heat did last night in the fourth quarter and tying that one up with Denver. From a local angle... Uh, you could go a ton of directions. The Colts still have two weeks left in their offseason program. Trace Jackson Davis working out for the Pacers today. We've got a couple college baseball teams still alive. Shout hey. out to Indiana State. How about the moving trees, on. baby? The Sycamores of Indiana State moving on. They win their regional. A great competitive regional from a entertainment standpoint. A lot of close games, but Indiana State... Moving on to the Super Regional, and IU will have a chance to do that tonight. They actually had a chance to do it last night. Uh, Kentucky, after IU beat Kentucky earlier in the weekend, uh, Kentucky took care of business to advance to a final game here. So winner moves on with Kentucky and Indiana. That's a 6 o'clock first pitch coming up later tonight. So, you know, again, from a June 5th standpoint, guys, we got a little bit of everything. May I ask you a really dumb question? Sure. So Indiana State by advancing to the Super Regional, that is in Omaha or still a step away from Omaha? Yeah, still a step away. So basically the NCAA baseball bracket is 64 teams divided into 16 four-team regionals. Right. And so Indiana Indiana State just advanced out of their regional. So now they are in the Sweet 16, if you will. Right. And the Sweet 16 are eight two-team Super Regionals. So you get a best-of-three series. I want to say Indiana State is either, I think it's Arkansas or TCU. They will await the winner. I'm not 100% positive on if that would definitely be on the road. Um, I want to say Arkansas is the so how many go to Omaha? team. Eight. Okay. Yeah, yeah, just eight. So um, do you remember last year? And I don't know, I probably obnoxiously brought it up a lot. Do you remember like Tennessee being the top college baseball team in the yeah. nation and Notre Dame beat them in the Super that. Regional? I remember that. So that was in Knoxville. That was your best of three series. And they were, Tennessee was thought two. to be like... Dynasty. Yeah, type, not yeah. only the number one team in the country, but like arguably the greatest college baseball team of all time. Right, right, right. right. So uh, India, it's double elimination um, in, in each of these rounds. So it's double elimination in the regional, then a clean slate. Double regional or double elimination in the super regional, clean slate. Then you go to Omaha, where it is also double elimination. So Indiana lost their first game last night. Kentucky already lost earlier in the regional. So we know Indiana State will be playing this coming weekend for a trip to go to Omaha. And the Hoosiers will try to join them so later today. I say if Indiana State advances, and I, I realize that I use in play here as well. And who else from the state? Ball State was eliminated. I knew that. So it, everybody has IU merchandise, right? I mean, like, I think yesterday or two days ago, last time we did the show, I was wearing an IU t-shirt. Kevin, I think you've worn IU stuff. I've always felt like Indiana State, I know John went there, JMV, but I've always felt like Indiana State's kind of the, the school that like gets overlooked in the state. If Indiana State goes to Omaha, I'm buying, I will even drive to Terre Haute to do it. I'm buying Indiana State hats for all three of us. We will wear the hats on the air. I've got my Larry Legend hat. Does that, that count? That does kind of count. Okay. Yeah, okay, good. I'm off the hook there. Mark, you want an Indiana State hat? Sure. Right, now, JMV's got to do a show from Omaha if they make it, right? For sure. I mean, alma mater in Omaha? It's kind yeah, of a, I mean, it's kind of one of those fringe sport bucket items. I, I think it'd be really cool to attend, for sure. Um, just it, it, incredible to see the year Indiana State has had a really slow start and then has been on an absolute tear since. Iowa, North Carolina, Wright State. That's who they took care of this weekend in 
Terre Haute. So, again, good Monday morning to you. Uh, Jake, Detroit action for yourself this weekend. It seemed like on Friday and Saturday, uh, drivers to say they were... I think the overall opinion of the city of Detroit was probably how the drivers felt about that street uh, course, right? Totally. So... A lot of right-hand turns, very tight corners, right-hand turns, and it looked like, and keep in mind, though, like we're watching it on Friday, on Friday we're watching practice, and you're thinking, this is going to be a, this is going to be a blank show. Like, like worse than be, Nashville last year, they were saying. Yes. But the thing to keep in mind is, it's the first time anybody's been on that track. They can do simulators to get used to it, but first time they've been on the track, and it was super bumpy. But once they kind of figured it out, I thought actually it was a pretty good race. Like it was pretty pretty decent racing. Alex Pillow's really good. When Alex Pillow gets a lead and gets out in front of cars, he, he can run away and hide. Um, so too narrow? Was that the complaint? It was very narrow. There were really only like two two passing areas, yeah. Um, but Will Power did a hell of a job to, to get himself up towards the front and, and be able to contend. So overall, I thought it was pretty decent. The, the one thing I will say about the Detroit race in IndyCar they sold a huge thing of like paddock suites along the the very long straightaway that w- and then they they had a double sided pit road and that area it it had i hate to say this because you try not to but it had an f1 type look to it great the biggest thing was i think for Roger Penske what do you mean by that the F1 type look. Um, I'm picturing festive. Paolo Boncaro and Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, festive, like the 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 canopied suites, double deckered all along that are packed with people, um, people hanging out of windows, waving. You know, just so is this a bad thing? Is this a... no, 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 good. I'm okay. saying like okay. a festive gotcha. atmosphere, like a, a sold out festive atmosphere, um, a party atmosphere. It, it looked like it was the place to be. You know, okay. the the aerials, the, the intention for any street course race and the allure of any city that decides to take on an event like that is you wanted to showcase your city it's why barber and the race down in alabama they they covet it so much because when else do people hear about birmingham alabama and roger penske who you know is from detroit it has been his hope and desire for a very long time to utilize auto racing to showcase the city of Detroit to try to overcome the stigma of it's this dilapidated, old, deteriorating, left-to-die town. And so I thought that that race, the aerials of it, where you could see the General Motors headquarters and the downtown area and Belle Isle Park and the water right there, I mean, it made the city look, it showed off Detroit. And and, it, and the aerials were very good, and that's exactly what they wanted to do. You know, it's early June, but Alex Plow's borderline running away with this series for the season. You are correct. I mean, he has been, and again, by all accounts, he's moving teams next season. So, Aaron McLaren, what he's done this year, we saw it last week at the 500. I mean, he was arguably the best car. Renus VK, of course, hit him in the pits, and that altered his day big time. But seven races this year, six top fives, two wins his lowest finish is eighth um just a dominant dominant year so far for alex below the other i think big storyline from yesterday jake when you talk about individuals uh, pot of war teetering on a little too crazy emotions getting the best yes. of them two things here number one with below nothing to base this on other than just like eyebrow raise to your point kevin i think what was a foregone conclusion that he is going to arrow mclaren next year may not be so as much i think he might if he wins a championship with chip ganassi there's been for a long time in indycar it was always a challenge for someone to be the teammate of scott dixon not because scott dixon's a bad guy i don't mean that but i think the perception amongst drivers was that so many resources went into the nine car for chip ganassi racing and Dario Franchitti had great success, obviously, in the 10 car. But I think a lot of younger drivers felt like under, you know, they were intimidated by Dixon. It's probably the easiest way to say it. Dixon now, clearly, like, starting to enter his twilight. I mean, just based on age alone. I think Palo may look at it and go, you know what? I've now won two championships with this team. And it's kind of shifting to where I'm the guy. However, 
Errol McLaren has the immediate accessible pathway to Formula One. So that would be the In a deeper pocket, right? Yeah, I mean, certainly if they're using the F one money for sure, but that would, but but Chip can pay him a lot. I mean, no doubt. But I think that the allure of the that segueing into an F one ride would be why Polo. If Polo goes to Aero McLaren at this point, to me, it means it's because he has the eye on Formula One, which is totally understandable. Um, but you are correct in the fact that like he 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 is off to a phenomenal start on the season. No doubt about it. Um, there was what, what was the other thing? You well, mentioned? again, Pato Ward. It's oh. like you know, pissed off teenager at great times, taking his anger out on his buddies. A yeah, a bit. I would agree that Award he is incredibly talented, but he is, and I don't think this is going to be the case. We talked about this yesterday, though. At some point, you have to make a choice whether you're going to be the guy that is that that's your deal, or that you learn how to reel it in a little bit before you become Thomas Schechter. Who's a guy that like people loved and was excitable, but never finished races, and that's kind of where he is, right? I mean, was it Tim Sendrick last Monday with us, Checker or Wreckers? Yeah, you know, it almost seems a little bit with Pato Ward this year. If you look at his finishes throughout the year, yesterday it was on the wreck side of it. So a whole lot of caution laps in the Detroit race yesterday. I think about a third of the race under caution, but Alex Pillow, six career win, and I would say I probably speak for Jake in a much-needed week off for not only Jake, but the IndyCar Series before they head up to Road America coming up here in a couple of weeks. Uh, you guys have a good weekend. I guess Jake, you know, certainly busy from a radio standpoint, but good besides that. I'm trying to think of what I did. Yesterday was, uh, you guys hear the ads on this radio station for Love Heating and Air. Sure. They mm-hmm. uh, came out to the house, did an outstanding job at the Bowen household. Chris, Same here. Chris and John Love um, are twins. They're, it's actually, they're the fourth generation of that business. But it was uh, May 31st is their birthday. But yesterday we celebrated their 50th birthday. Nice. And it was super cool because we grew up, the Love's house was our, our epicenter. I mean, we spent the night all the time. I, I can't even tell you how many nights in middle school in particular that we spent the night there, played basketball in their driveway every day after school. I mean, that that was our place. And their mom still lives there. And so they had a 50th birthday party for the two of them knockout and horse and that's right well so apparently Susie love their mom was talking about you know doing it at a restaurant or whatever else and their sister ellen was like mom you've got to do it at home because like all of these boys that was their this that was their place so it was great i mean we got together yesterday uh celebrated chris and john and then just sat around Eric Barrett and Chris West of Bingo Cards Galore here. Rob Whitaker, Jim Burge. We just sat around telling old stories about when we were knuckleheads. It was great. Great fun. It's waiting for you to go ding, ding, ding on all those names early on. Well, I was trying to keep track. I have to follow my bingo card. Uh They live next door to Farkas. Looking pretty good so far. It's one of those fill the card times. Byron was a no-show, by the way. Well, Well. you still got to mention, though. Tension in the north-central friendship group there. Mark, how many Indians games? Three? None. No, we we went to... Sweet by the Indians, by the way, over Toledo. We went to Illinois for the first time since Mother's Day weekend. Helping my parents out with some stuff and all that. So enjoyed some family and fun. Saw the cousins for my, my daughters and stuff. And then put a grill together yesterday when I got in, back in town. So Good for you. Yeah, It's a nice little Sunday. Mm-hmm. Which of the two of us spends fewer number of weekends in Indianapolis, me or you? <laughs> I'd say you, I think. Ooh, I don't know, man. I've been back since since Mother's Day, so it's, it's been a while. Kev, what'd you do? Uh, I actually had you dialed up yesterday driving home. Uh, we were up at uh, Maddie's family's lake house. They have a uh, lake house up in Leesburg, Indiana. You familiar at all with Leesburg? Where is Leesburg? Just a little northeast of Warsaw. Okay. Um, so yeah, we had a couple of Maddie's good friends come up there and seven little kids in all, so it was certainly a lot of eyes on those kids, but they had a blast up there. I mean, Saturday was hotter than you know, you know what, so it was great to get in the water a little bit and uh, have some fun up there. But yeah, we left probably, gosh, lap 15 20 and you guys signed off and 86 meridian for me it felt like a long race well the 30 cautions i mean there are 30 yellow laps yeah. um but again i i said to matt you know, maddie was sound asleep uh once we got 
probably once we hit Westfield, I go, I am so happy that that race just got me through this entire drive home. <laughs> it's well, one of those like you know, just two hours and like twenty minutes, and you know, you're like an hour off US 31. It's just not like the cleanest of drives. So it was great to listen to you guys. Outstanding job per usual with your crew, and like I said, I'm sure you are very much looking forward to a weekend off. That's a fair that. statement. Yes. A fair statement. Uh, speaking of weekends, uh, we will certainly have a game next weekend in the NBA Finals. We'll actually have a game a week from tonight. That will be Game 5, and the reason for that is we are tied up at 1-1. Jake, you are just a game off in your heat prediction. I'm telling you, man, you, you just can't you can't rule these guys out. I mean, it's They are the weed in the yard. They are the weed in the yard that I thought I've killed 17 times. Undoubtedly. And it's still there. And, and I told you, like, it was... Last night was such the typical Miami Heat win. I mean, I've watched a lot of Heat basketball, and I'm telling you, like, they they just kind of hang around, and then late third, they draw close. Early fourth, they get, like, a three- to five-point lead, and you think to yourself, like, okay, I mean, they got a little bump here, but and then all of a sudden, it's seven- to nine-point lead. And then there's like three minutes to go, and it's an eleven to thirteen point lead, and you're, you're like, "What in the world just happened?" Yeah, I was talking with one of the buddy or one of our um, friends' husbands who was up with us over the weekend, and you know, he he was a college basketball player, and both of us were just kind of like, "For Miami to get back into it, Butler's got to do heroic stuff." You know, he, Butler's got to have a forty five point game or just something crazy. And last night, I mean, he had twenty one points and nine assists. I don't want to act like it was a poor game, but it wasn't crazy, Jimmy Butler. And yet, the confidence those undrafted guys continue to have away from home in the finals. Max Struess couldn't throw it in the Colorado River in game one. He comes out. He really set the tone, I thought, in the first quarter when they built that early league. Denver's bench played great there into the second. Uh, but then Duncan Robinson in the fourth, Gabe Vincent all night long. Um, it, it's just it's quite impressive to see these unheralded resumes, no matter the stage, no matter how ugly game one was for them, continue to bounce back, show that resiliency. Um, 17 threes for Miami last night. Saw they shot 68% in the fourth quarter. ESPN threw up a graphic. That was, I think it was the third best fourth quarter in NBA playoff history for any team. Um, Because they were down. I mean, if you watch the second and third quarter, hell, if you fell asleep in the third quarter, you probably thought, oh, Denver's got this. Uh, but Miami, terrific in the fourth quarter. Nikola Jokic had 41. Kind of an interesting stat. Denver is now 0-3 here in the postseason when Jokic scores over 40. That's the, isn't that bizarre? I mean, if you're, if you're Denver, are you worried about the fact that you got that kind of performance from him and still couldn't parlay that? Well, I thought Mark Jackson made a really good point in game one, and I think you could say the same thing last night. Denver is at its best when Jokic is facilitating first, scoring second. Because when he's facilitating, he obviously is finding guys for super high percentage looks. They are playing well. Naturally, the opponent's whatever, kind of sagging off him. And then when he needs to score, like he did in game one to close that game out, boom, he can do that for you. Uh, But Michael Porter Jr. really struggled for them last night. Uh, First home loss of the playoffs for Denver. Their first loss at home, I think, since late March. So, uh, 1-1. In that series, 111-108, Jamal Murray missed one. Late to try and force him to OT. A uh, little bit of a break as they travel now to South Beach. Game three will come on Wednesday night of that series. Did you see Eric Spolster after the game was asked? And I thought it was a pretty fair question. Um, hey, are you guys by design trying to turn Jokic into a scorer as opposed to a facilitator? And Spolster is like, he got he was like offended by the question but it's a pretty good question right because i think that there's a lot of accuracy to that I, with you let Jokic get his 40 then you know where the damage is coming he only had four assists and, and right. again i mean he had 41 but you know, this is a guy that we saw in game one whatever he had 27 and 14 i mean i think denver would like to kind of play through him more as a passer obviously he's an incredibly gifted scorer as well but um, yeah, I think that's a great question. I think it's a question that Spolster probably reacted to that because he doesn't want to give his honest answer. You ever see a tweet that you think to yourself, that is a brilliant observation, and then you get mad that you didn't make it. And then you look, and it's just some guy with like 50 followers. 17 numbers on his you Twitter know? name. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it wasn't necessarily that. It was a writer of some sort, but 
a fairly modest account, but had a great tweet that just said, um, Nikola Jokic, or I've heard his name said a couple of different times, by the way, but Jokic, colon, and then just said, Greg Ostertag, but Larry Bird. <laughs> he does look like Ostertag. And I'm like, that is perfect. I used that to is, love Ostertag. That is literally the best way to describe it. Yeah. Greg Ostertag, but Larry Bird. I thought it was kind of wild. Mike Breen said last night that Jokic's favorite player growing up was Tracy McGrady. I'm I'm amazed how many people. I'm either old or I slept through the laugh the latter half of the '90s. I, I never thought of Tracy McGrady as like in the same stratosphere as like Kobe Garnett. I think he had that brief run where it was at that level, like a little bit of Raptors, a little bit of Magic. It didn't last very long, but it it was. Really, like, present. And, and what what Breen said last night, which I think kind of plays into it, is what's Trace McGrady six eight, six nine, yeah, something like that. What impressed Jokic was a dude that tall that was that skilled. Okay, better career or better player, Tracy McGrady or Anthony Hardaway? Um, probably Penny. But would you say more long? I don't know. I mean, I just think of McGrady. I, I feel I, like McGrady's stint was like four or five years. So was McGrady the Terrell Davis of the NBA? Yeah, but it's hard to. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to go there. I mean, he, he didn't win a title. Yeah, I mean, or you know, just like a guy that was a, a dynamic, holy cow player for is okay. Is McGrady the Michael Vick of the NBA? Yeah, that's probably a little bit better. Kind of a unique guy. Obviously scored it at a absurdly high level there for a couple of years, mostly on, you know, poor teams, but you know, it was kind of Vince Carter's sidekick and then, you know, he goes to Orlando, takes off and obviously things didn't work out. You know, Houston eventually kind of went south for him there, but that was just a name I did not expect <laughs> Mike Breen to say uh when he said Jokic's favorite player was uh Tracy McGrady. Uh, Trace Jackson Davis over at the Pacers facility today. Workout time. You see he's working out with that dude from Arizona? That dude from Arizona. Sabonis-like dude. Tabellus. Tabellus. He kind of whipped um, um, IU back in the uh, median Vegas. I found that ironic that that was the guy that will be among the handful of workout, whatever you want to call it, comrades, if you will, for Trace Jackson Davis today. Now, are they working out in tandem? Yeah, it's a group. It's uh, five or six yeah. of them. So, uh, yeah, not the solo workout like we saw with Cam Whitmore from Villanova last week, but Trey Jackson Davis, who I think has done a few Western Conference teams working out. Um, again, the draft's two weeks from Thursday. And, I, you know, when you see him working out for the Pacers, you know, first off, you know, Trey Jackson Davis obviously is worthy of a workout. There's no questions asked there. You know, last week the Pacers kind of had that local flavor. To their workout, you look at picks 26, 29, 32. Indiana holds all three of them. Isn't that squarely in Trace Jackson Davis' range? Yeah, I think Jackson Davis is on their radar. I, I don't know that I would say that he's on their uh, dartboard just yet, but I think he's on their radar. I think they're going to take a look at him. Are they done with Isaiah Jackson and Jalen Smith? Is that too harsh? Are they done with Isaiah Jackson and Jalen Smith? Because isn't that trace like that sort the, of position? The answer is likely, or possibly yes, but both in, under contract in but. this capacity. Are they done with Isaiah Jackson and Jalen Smith? They may be done with the thought of that as a pair, and and try to parlay or move on from one of those two. I don't know which it would be. Quite honestly, I do feel like Jalen Smith kind of fell out of rotation, and you know Isaiah Jackson. I think j- just his I mean, hell. Isaiah Jackson's probably younger than Trace Jackson Davis. That's it. I mean Isaiah Jackson's athleticism plus age. I, I do think that they are they are still very intrigued by me. I mean he does do unique things. He's like Tracy McGrady, not not literally, but I'm saying in the fact that you look at him and you go, he just does things at that size that we're not used to. So many positives to the Pacers this last season, so many. If you're going to throw out a negative individually, it's those two. 
and that well, neither of them right. took a step forward you That's were hoping. Um, and no, I but neither think, one sees that position, right? Right. And I just think life behind Miles Turner is a little bit up in the air. You know, Daniel Tice is still under contract. What's kind of his, you know, he pretty much, they, they kind of sat him towards the end of the season. Um, so, yeah, Trish Jackson Davis working out today for the Pacers. Uh, blinds are closed. That means it's a glorious day. That's right. Absolutely beautiful here in Indianapolis. Joel A. Erickson going to join us coming up at 8.30. Uh, was out at the Colts Complex on Friday to get the second look at them this spring. It was Gardner Minshew taking the starting reps uh, for the Colts. They will also have, I would say, a pretty big twist to training camp this year. We'll explain more on that here coming up a little bit later in the show. And... Will we see a free agent whiteout join the Colts? A former first-round pick join the Colts. We'll explain that coming up a little bit later as well. Good Monday morning to you. Hope you have a good start to this week. It is Kevin and Quarry right here on 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. 17 minutes before the hour of 8 o'clock on a Monday. Good morning to you. Good-looking start to the day. My name is Jay Query. Kevin Bowen here as well. Mark Dykton manning controls for us as we talk about the Colts and their OTAs and whether or not... It's going to be Anthony Richardson or Gardner Minshew that is under center week one. That's There's a ton that goes in between now and then. But question is, Kevin, is it possible that Chris Ballard is working his Rolodex to find another target for whoever it is that is going to be under center to throw to? You know, we talked last week, Jake, about how June 1st can be a, a date and a time where all of a sudden you see a few veteran, veteran signings around the NFL. The Colts made one last week. Um, at defensive end, and then Adam Schefter had this on Friday afternoon that the Colts worked out free agent wideout Burchard Perriman and are in discussions with him about signing there. So nothing yet since that tweet out on Friday afternoon. Obviously, anytime a guy of Adam Schefter's uh, notoriety tweets something like that, um, you certainly take note of it. Um you know, Perriman is a guy that is a former first-round pick, and I have long said you always look into, kick the tires on former first-round picks. The thing about him, at age 29 now, uh, he has never sniffed first-round pick production whatsoever. Frankly, he hasn't even sniffed second, third, arguably fourth-round production. Uh, 36 catches is the most he's ever had in a season. Bounced around to a handful of teams. Probably his best attribute has been... As a big play wideout, he, he has averaged 16 yards per catch in his career, which is a pretty good number. Uh, but more than anything to me, Jake, adding a veteran pass catcher, sure, something I can get behind. But when you look at like his resume, again, at the age of 29, to me it's June scraps. When you wait until June, this is pretty much what the market looks like. Definitely made me think, and I mean, Bowen, every time I freaking read or listen to Bowen, it's like a constant freaking barrage of, of, of uh, whiteouts. <laughs> it's, it's the laughter, right? It's the... <laughs> haunted house, Westfield Haunted House he could star in. After a while, don't you look at a guy, and I do get that, Sometimes you just need bodies, maybe. How many teams would you like to guess are on the resume, Kevin? Uh, it's at least five, right? Five or six? Name them. Ooh, boy, Jets, Ravens, Bucks. Chargers. No Chargers. Jets, Ravens, Bucks. Did he play for the Bears? I didn't think he did. Bears, not one of them. No, I thought he did. Ravens, Browns, Bucks, Browns or Jets, back to the Bucks. Every you would have to assume all of those, excluding obviously Baltimore. You know, it was thought of, hey, 
This is the play. Maybe we can reinvent it a little bit here. Let's see what we have. And then- yeah, first round pick out of Central Florida in 2015. Yeah. But Jake, it's not like any of those stops he had a 55 catch, 820 right. yard season. Like it, none of it has again sniffed the first round s- sort of potential. Um, but you know, when you look at the Colts' wideout room, I mean, I guess Isaiah McKenzie is the most veteran of the group. Michael Pittman, who was sitting out Friday due to a hip injury. Um, you know, he would be the most tenured cult of the wideout group. So it is a pretty youthful room outside of Isaiah McKenzie. Um, you know, Pittman, Alec Pierce, Josh Downs, who's been a little banged up as well, Ashton Doolin. Um, I mean, that's probably what you're looking at from a wideout standpoint. Um, I think one disappointing aspect of this OTA has been, you know, Pittman was out for the birth of his child a couple weeks ago, out with a hip injury this week. The tight end group, no Jelani Woods. He's been banged up. The rookie, Will Mallory, out of Miami. Uh, as well, Drew Ogletree, who was kind of a darling of training camp last year before he tore his ACL. He obviously is still rehabbing that. So from a pass-catching standpoint, whether it's Gardner Minshew or Anthony Richardson, it's been a bit quiet there. Uh, Jake, when we were out there on Friday, Gardner Minshew took all the starting reps. You make anything of that? No. Different from how we I, I saw think, it. The I think first that may week. be the case for quite a while. Um, but let me ask you this: the first week we saw a split. The second week we saw Minshew take. Everyone all. asked me this, so I'm going to ask you because you were there, I was not. How did Anthony Richardson look? I thought he had a nice day. Um, again, I was just selfishly, probably more than anything, a little disappointed we didn't get to see him in starting reps. We're only able to go out there one day a week right now. Uh, this week it'll be Wednesday. Next week we do get to watch the entire mini camp to conclude the offseason program. So, you know, there could easily be other practices where Richardson's taking more of the starting reps. Um, Anthony had a really nice two minute drill to end practice. You know, pretty efficient, quick rhythm, got his team in field goal range. I think the backup kicker actually shanked one, but um, that was the best session from him. Um, outside of that, though, it was pretty nondescript. It is amazing, though, Jake. Like, I was sitting there on the sideline, and you're we are only allowed to film, take pictures of, like, a small period to start practice. And it got to the point where I knew that period was about to come to an end, and I hadn't, like, posted anything Richardson-related. I'm like, oh, I should probably post something on Richardson just right. to, like, you know, give people a little idea of, like, hey, I'm actually, you know, here, and here's a glimpse of Anthony Richardson. So they were doing this little like scramble drill where you're you're kind of doing like high knees over some pads and and, and you know an assistant's flushing you out of the pocket and you got to throw on the run and they have a net set up with a little bit of a window in the net and you got to throw on the run and the goal is to try and get it in that window. So Richardson goes through the drill, rolls to his right, which. I seem to remember when we had his quarterbacks coach, Will Hewlett, on after the draft. He did say kind of rolling to his right was something that they were working on and making throws. Throws a great ball right in the window. Gardner Minshew goes nuts. Richardson goes nuts. Uh, Quarterbacks are celebrating. And tweeting out that video and seeing how it – and it literally was the only video that I took all practice. Like, he did it to the left side the next time and missed the window. I just – it happened to be the one time that I filmed him. It is wild how much the Anthony Richardson content just blows up. People are obsessed, enamored with it. They can't get enough of it. It's it's unlike anything I've seen with, with a Colts quarterback in years. And obviously the early Andrew Luck years, Twitter was still kind of in its infancy. But people are... Like, the reaction, Jake, in this market, if they would have taken Will Levis versus Anthony Richardson... It seems like those are at two ends of the spectrum. I, I think it's, well, I think part of it is because he is literally the shiny new toy. Because we we have not seen enough body of work of but him But wouldn't Levis college. be the shiny new toy? But, no. Because the shine wore off of him in college. I don't mean because of, what I'm saying is, Richardson, there are people at the University of Florida that are still intrigued by Richardson because we just didn't see enough of them. So it's more of the unknown. Correct. Correct. It's the the high risk, high reward. You know what I mean? But yes, it's the fact that I think people just are, everyone is intrigued by this. 
I, I mean, let's face it. He's in terms of a quarterback, he is a bit of an anomaly. Yeah, he's bigger than what we're used to seeing. He's he's a created player on a video game. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I, I thought. Yeah, again, I'll note every time I'm out there how the quarterback reps are split up because it's my job and. Um, you know, obviously, we'll provide context on it from then. I, I did think it was interesting that Minshew split the reps with Richardson the previous week, and then um, he took all of them on Friday. We'll see how that plays out the rest of the spring. Um, I'm also interested to see, you know, at what point in camp do you feel like you need to decide? All right, one guy's going to get the bulk, and he's going to get the bulk for three or four straight days. And if he, you know, whatever excels in those periods, we're going to continue to have him be quarterback one uh, we have not seen a training camp schedule announced just yet but the Colts will do something differently under Shane Sykin than they've previously done they are going to have two separate joint practice sessions so we knew about the one with the Bears um, the Bears play the Colts at Lucas Oil Stadium on August 19th that's a Saturday night it's week two of the preseason remember there's only three preseason games now moving forward so typically, what the Colts have done is they then host that team for joint practices at Grand Park the Wednesday and Thursday before a Saturday game. So again, no camp schedule announced yet. If I were guessing, I would pencil in August 16th and 17th for those that would like to see that as the joint practices for the Bears. The next week... The Colts play on August 24th, which is a Thursday. That is in Philadelphia. That is their final preseason game. Shane Sykin's taking the boys to Philly early. Uh, I don't know if the Liberty Bell Tour will be on the docket, but they will have a joint practice on the road August 22nd with the Eagles. Certainly plenty of familiarity with the Bears and Matt Eberflus and obviously Shane Steichen and the Eagles, so it makes sense. You play them that Thursday night. That checks the box. I am a bit curious, Jake, when the training camp schedule gets announced. You know, last year, I want to say it extended to like August 25th, 26th. Like they had some practices pretty late into the month. If you're going to Philly on August 21st, I guess it would be they might end camp a little bit earlier this year. So I know some people enjoy going out there. It's free. I think it's a great time. It's great access. You you sit very close. Catch it while um, you can. Yeah. I, I Again, I don't know that for sure, but they certainly will be gone for a chunk of August there in the mid to late parts. So with kids going back to school seemingly earlier every year, uh, late July, early August, I think are your opportunities to catch the Colts. Let me run past for you a few numbers. And you tell me if you'd take this. This is two same quarterback, two seasons. You ready? A completion percentage of 58.7, and then the next year a completion percentage of 56.5. 29 total touchdowns, 23 interceptions. <clears throat> a quarterback rating of a 70.4 the first year and 80.1 the second year. Both seasons, 8-8. Eight and eight. Now, would you say that that's, for a young quarterback, about what you would hope for when a quarterback is first getting groomed, if you will? I think individually you'd hope for a little bit more. My guess is, and I could be wrong, are those Josh Allen's numbers? Those are the those are years three and four of Steve McNair. Oh, wow. You're going way back. And I think McNair is similar to Anthony Richardson, not because they are both black quarterbacks. I understand that there's a natural probably unfair bias that takes place either either side i mean in sports with we tend to rate players sometimes just based on who they look like but mcnair i think was an equally intriguing player because when he came in it was like well he's super durable i've never seen a guy that can run and throw like him he's built like you know i mean he's just this big strong guy and yet and they were patient with him I mean, the Oilers slash Titans were patient with McNair, and eventually, obviously, he developed into an MVP-level player and a great player in the NFL. But it took time. did not happen overnight. And I think with Richardson, there's a little bit of a danger that people are expecting to plug him in and immediately have him be. And, and that's a lot of that is, 25 years later, the way quarterbacks are thought to be able to produce right away as opposed to back then when literally, if you look at it, they gave him four years to get on track did the Colts have four years to wait on Richardson this is a day where in an age where we expect four games 
for a quarterback to be going. Yeah, I mean, you don't draft him if you aren't going to be willing to practice a little bit of patience and also commit to him to grow. And I think teams are afraid of committing to young quarterbacks knowing that it could look ugly. And I'll give Mark's Bears credit. They have committed to playing Justin Fields when they know there's going to be some major growing pains on the field. And I will say this a lot between now and September, whatever the first game is, 10th, 11th, 12th. This season for me ain't about 8 and 9 or 7 and 10, whatever. It is all about Richardson's development. It's the Pacers of last year. No one cares about 35 wins for the Pacers. They care that Halliburton became an all-star and Benedict Matherin looks like he can play in the NBA. And Miles Turner, I guess you got an answer there. So three bonuses on that end. This season for the Colts, all about Richardson. And you've got to make sure that you commit to his on-field development. And for me, that means playing him. And when that happens, how that happens, we'll continue to monitor. But again, as of Friday... Just one day, Gardner Minshew taking the reps. Uh, a couple of injury notes. Still no Shaquille Leonard. I'm not expecting him till the start of camp. I don't look at it as like DEFCON. I look at it as this is kind of one final chance and give him six more weeks of rest instead of rushing him like they did last year. So it's a huge storyline. We'll obviously monitor it at Grand Park. Uh, and Jake, your your favorite guy, Rigo. Rigo Berto Sanchez coming back from the Achilles. Uh, doing some punting. Heck yeah. Still not I'm telling you. full go on that in. I like I like Rigoberto Sanchez. I like him a lot. Have you already penciled him in on your top ten indispensable Colts of twenty twenty three? I'm saying for this year, is he going to make the list again? Eh, we'll have to wait till the roster is complete. Okay. Okay. Man tours Achilles running sprints. It's never, never an ideal thing. Well, you know, listen, strange things happen when you least expect. How many times do you see a wide receiver just go out to the lineup with nobody around him, boom, fall over? Come on now. Uh, possibly Zaire Franklin going to join us on the show tomorrow, so we'll keep you posted on a time on that. And Joel A. Erickson going to join us coming up at 8.30. Uh, quite the name for the Pacers working out today from a local angle. We'll chat about that coming up in the 8 o'clock hour. Kevin Bowen, Jake Corey, Mark Dykton here on a beautiful Monday. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. By the way, one quick thing before we get to Joel. Somebody did pass us along. Indiana basketball, when I was talking about Trace Jackson Davis and I said that his question would be his lateral quickness. Indiana sent out a tweet. Trace Jackson Davis at the Combine, first standing vertical power, first in max vertical power, first in three-quarter court sprint speed, and first in shuttle run. Um, And then it says, amongst all centers. Again, I, I don't deny he's going to be a good NBA player. What I'm saying is, if I, from in, from what I've, in talking to NBA scouts, their question for him is that they don't see him necessarily as a down low on the block center at his size, and he does have athleticism. They want to see if he can move side to side on the wing against six seven to six nine guys that are playing at say the three or the stretch four. That's all I'm saying, and that would be the area that is of. To say totally doubted is wrong, but that's the area that they most want to examine and explore, and I would assume one of them that the Pacers will be looking at today. Trace Jackson Davis back in his hometown, as Jake just mentioned there, working out over at the St. Vincent Center. I think it's draft workout six maybe for the Pacers here. Two and a half weeks away from the NBA draft. Uh, switching gears to the Colts, Joel A. Erickson from the SAR with us here. On the Payless Liquors Hotline. Joel, I want to go back to Friday afternoon. And before kind of getting your thoughts on the open OTA session that we got to watch, uh, have you heard anything on the Adam Schefter uh, news front and him reporting that uh, the Colts worked out former first-round pick, wideout Burchard Perriman, and are in discussions about signing there? You heard anything on that front? 
I have I have not been able to get anything on that front. Um, I was out of town over the weekend though, and uh, and so I had, I had other responsibilities. You view veteran pass catcher, veteran wideout. It's been interesting to watch these first two OTAs because the wideout and tight end group are pretty banged up right now. You view that as something they should look into. I I think I think that you know bringing in a guy like Prashad Perryman is. It's it's helpful for competition. I don't know that it it. I think that I would put him at this point in his career maybe more along the lines of like a a little bit better version of Malik Turner or Jawan Winfrey or some of these other guys that they brought in. You know he he's been uh, you know mostly a, a, a bit player rotational player throughout his career, and so I think that I think that you know. Despite the fact that he was a first-round pick and he has the name and everything like that, he's probably more of a you know let's let's see what we have here, see if he makes the roster type of guy if they end up signing him. Let me ask you, Joel, what I asked Kevin earlier because everybody's asked me this, and so I Kevin weighed in, so I'll get yours. Simple question: How did Anthony Richardson look? What do you say when people are like, "Well, how do he look? How's it? How's he look?" What's he done well? What's he done poorly? Where does he look in comparison to other guys that would be just drafted quarterbacks, etc.? I I think that what I've been telling people is he he kind of looks like I would have expected him to look so far. I mean, there's there's a lot of good. You can see the power. You can see um, some some really good stuff in the pocket. I mean, you also see some throws that get missed, uh, and that probably need to be a little bit more automatic, but I, I don't know that I was expecting anything different. I, I think, I think so far what we've seen out of Richardson on the practice field is pretty much, pretty much what I was expecting from him at this stage. Were you surprised at all? Again, Joel Erickson with us from the star. Again, we're out there one day a week, and I try to preface that every time I explain, hey, these are the takeaways. I mean, we're watching one of the three or four OTA sessions each week, but were you surprised at all on Friday that Gardner Minshew took all the starting reps and we were out there? A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. I thought for sure um, they would, you know, give Richardson at least um, one of them, especially after, you know, they kind of said everything the week before. I I, I wonder, though, if uh, – I wonder if Sykin cares about how it might look. Um, he doesn't really seem to be that kind of guy. Uh, and so I, I don't know. I, I'm with you. The hard part is you kind of make note of it, but we're not out there enough days in a row to, to know for sure. Right. It'll be different during uh, training camp. And you asked, and the thing is, you did ask about it. Like, we, we asked about it. Um, and he kind of just, you know, deflected it to the side. But, you know, the, the outside of asking, it's hard when you can't have, when you don't have all three practices in a row. I mean, in, in, in a couple of weeks now, in mandatory minicamp, if Minshew takes all of them with the first team, then I think I'll be on a little bit more of an alert. Yeah, we'll get three straight days then. Obviously, when training camp opens up in late July, we'll be out there for every practice. If you had to guess, and I don't know, it's probably a stupid question to even ask, it's June 5th. If you had to throw out a training camp date where you think we would start to see a, oh, wow, four straight days of this guy taking 80% of the starting reps, where is maybe your your pivot date? Again, free or, uh, preseason games are the 12th, the 19th, and the 24th of August. So where would be kind of a date you would circle as something to watch for come training camp? Mm, maybe the 14th or so, right after that first game, especially with them going into joint practices the next two weeks after that. Yeah. You know, um because when you do those joint practices, you're kind of testing out your. Ro- I mean, you're testing out your roster, but in general, I guess it's a different head coach, so we'd have to see. Um, but you know, from my memory, I don't remember them messing with the lineup very much in those in those joint practices in the past. They kind of tend to to put the first team with the first team and to see what they have. And so I, I think that that you know, fourteenth, fifteenth, whenever whenever they start, whenever the Bears get here, I think maybe that's when. I'd start taking real notice. Unless I mean unless he's got all the first teams mapped on the seventh or something. Are we starting to see more of a trend? Let me rephrase that. I think we've already seen the start of this trend. But are we but where does the trend I guess end? It seems to me that training camp now and this probably is by a, a proper design, but you know, the days of like everybody you know the junction boys, right? Of like, oh, it's seven weeks of hell and double two a days and da da da. da. 
and and now Kevin, as you were talking about, like it's getting even shorter and shorter, where people maybe are going to be able to go out and see them at Grand Park and etc. I mean, are we starting to see? I'm not going to say the diminish of training camp, but the devalue of overdoing training camp. Does that make sense? What I'm asking for either one of you guys? Yeah, I think I think what we're seeing more than anything is that you know back then um, I think I think the two day Junction Boys that kind of thing. That was rooted in the idea that they need to get guys in shape. Um, you know, a lot of those stories, reading the Junction Boys, are, are, are about just, just pure brutal conditioning and stuff like that. And the expectation now is is really more that you're, you, when you get there, you're in shape. Um, you know, like I remember talking to DeForest Buckner last year, and Buckner does like a, he almost does like a, a month-long mini camp of his own with his pass rush coach in the summer. And he said, part of that is just that when he gets to camp, he's not doing any of that stuff. He's, he's already in, in condition for the football moves he's making. And he's, he gets a chance to just work on stuff. Um, and I think that's part of it. I mean, the other part of it obviously is injuries. We've seen, you know, countless training camp injuries over the last couple of years. Um, but, but I think part of it, I think the biggest part of it and why, why you can maybe not do the same way as you used to is, that these guys are sort of expected to be not sort of they're they're expected to come in in shape and ready to go, whereas I think a lot of that before was was to to you know beat it out of them, beat out the off season out of them. It's Joel Erickson from the Star. He's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. The open OTA session for the media will be Wednesday this week. Uh, then a three day mini camp next week that will conclude the off season program. Joel, we have not seen Shaquille Leonard on the practice field participating in either of the two sessions. My level of concern with that, I don't think has really changed much. I didn't expect to see him in the spring. I think the next big date would be if he all of a sudden opens up training camp on the physically unable to perform list, then that would be uh, kind of rising in the in the in the red flag category um, for me. How do you view Leonard and his lack of participation right now since having that second back surgery uh, in November? I, I'm I'm with you. I, I'm not super concerned about it right now. I I think it's actually maybe probably a good sign that just based on everything he said about what happened last year, he felt like he was on the field way before he should have been. Uh, he wasn't ready when he got out there. It contributed to him having to have a second surgery. Uh, there's just there's there's not really a, a necessarily a reason for him to be out there right now. Um, I mean, you want a guy out there if they're healthy, but if you think about like some of the other guys that are not practicing right now, like they're 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 taking no chances with Jonathan Taylor, um, who had surgery on a high ankle sprain, which is you know in my mind, I think when like. You know, like the Alabama guys always do the tightrope surgery on their high ankle sprain, and that's usually to play like in three weeks or something like that. Basically, the, the way NFL teams operate now is is if you've got anything going on in the spring, they're going to hold you out. Just just they're just going to make sure that you don't you don't hurt anything um, any worse. And I, I know I feel like every week when we tweet out like who we see or we don't see, people are like, "Oh man, we we're we're in we're in big trouble." I I. Right now, the list is not that much longer than it would be on a standard, normal training camp day. I think it's pretty much the same. And again, the, the precaution of it, that's, that's been a while now. I think people should kind of start getting used to the fact that teams, they're not going to um, take any chances with players during, during the, the practice session. It's, it's during the, the games that they're more willing to uh, let guys play through stuff. But they're, they're not really doing that at any point in the offseason anymore. Even in training camp, they don't really do that. Joel, if there was one position room that Chris Ballard, let, let, let's say hypothetically that the NFL institutes a rule that during training camp, the general manager can only analyze one position and, and focus in and watch tape and scrutinize one position, which position would that be that Chris Ballard would choose because it's the one that he feels is the most intriguing to him and has the most question aside from the obvious which would be quarterback but what position is it do you think that chris ballard is saying i need further analysis as much as i can get at this position offensive line even still huh is the first thing that jumped into my mind is offensive line and not just because ballard always says you know the offensive line and defensive line but 
just that they're they're counting on right now. I think the third tackle is Blake, Blake Freeland, who's a rookie. Um, there's not a ton of experience depth there. I think I think that's maybe the spot more than anything that you want to know. Like that, they've set it up to to see who's going to compete and who's going to play there, and they don't have a ton of. I want to say I don't. I want to say proven. Let's just say experience. We don't have a ton of experience options there beyond what they have in the front five, and I think that's that's probably the spot that jumps to mind immediately. Yeah, I go back, Joel, on, on that topic to a question I asked Chris at, at the combine and saying, okay, do you believe the offensive line issues last season were more personnel based or more coaching based? And Chris gave a very politically correct answer and didn't really go down either path. His actions, though, here on June 5th have said coaching versus personnel, right? Yeah, yeah, and I think I think coaching and I think the other thing is just development. Um, Which I guess goes than, hand in hand. Yeah, more than anything, it does, yeah, that's true, it does go hand in hand, but you've also made the, the point, a good one, I think, that like what we saw with Bernard Ryman getting more consistent that may have been just the natural progression of what to expect from him because he was a third-round rookie who was thrown into the fire. Um, and it, it does feel like offensive line this offseason is the position more than any other that they've been more content to um, cornerback to to some degree, but they obviously have the, the high pick there. But offensive line feels like the position that they've they've been content to just say, Okay, we we think Bernard Ryman and Will Fries are going to develop much further than they have to this point. We're just going to count on that. And yeah, I think coaching obviously is part of that. And then I think I think some of it we've seen this before with Ballard. He's he's betting on he's betting on them developing in their second year, which has turned out well at times and it's turned out very poorly at times, depending on which which example you want to you want to show out. So. Um, We'll we'll see where it goes. I, I still keep thinking though that even if you're going to count on those guys in the starting lineup, I, I would still like to have some depth or some experience depth, just because the chances of those guys playing all the games is so remote. Um, and like I said, right now you're you're one Braden Smith injury away from having a rookie and a second year tackle uh, starting for you. Joel, when teams do the joint practices, and this might be a better question for just. You know Shane Steichen or, or one of them, but do you believe that when they get ready to do this, that that the two respective coaching staffs get together and confer with one another on things they'd like to see? In other words, is it possible the Colts say to Chicago or you know or, or Philadelphia, like, hey, can you run some of this against us? Because that's an area that we really want to see, or I want to see how my guys react to that. Do you think there is any sort of discussion? from each respective franchise of what they kind of need or want to see from the other as part of these programs. Yeah, I do. I do think that that's part of it. I think, I mean, you know, if, if one team, I think there's some, uh, there's some push and pull there where the team's like, well, we want to work on this other thing. But I do think, I do think that that's part of it because they have to talk about a lot of stuff. Like a lot of times, whether or not these joint practices devolve into fights comes down to how the coaches set it up in the beginning. Um, and the one joint practice session with the Colts that got a little out of hand um, kind of came down to Freddie Kitchens in, in Cleveland uh, just saying he was okay with it, you know? Um, and so that that's part of it too. But, but I do think that they say, you know, okay, where are you at? What are you working on? You know, we're, we're looking for different looks. Like, what, what can we give you? That kind of thing. I do think there's some push and pull there to how they set up the practices, what they work on. Uh, that kind of thing. Joel, last one, and appreciate the time here on this Monday morning. Uh, bigger year for Quiddy Pay or Bernard Ryman? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I'm going to go Ryman. I I think Quiddy. Interesting. Pay has, I think Quiddy Pay has established himself as a starting caliber defensive end. Now, uh, I understand what you're saying in terms of the, you know, can he take the next step? Can he be top tier? Um, but he's got four sacks and six sacks the last two seasons with while playing through some injury. I think he's established himself as a starting caliber defensive end in the NFL. Ryman has not done that yet. Uh, there's, there's a lot to like with him, but he also gave up nine sacks last season and a lot of them came in really big moments. And I think that, I think that for him, 
he is still has to get to that point where you're looked at as a starting uh, left tackle in the league. Uh, whereas I think Quiddy Pay is probably there now. Again, top tier. What kind of money does that mean? I don't know. But like you know, look you look at uh, Samson Abukum. He's he's been in the five six sack range for a while, and he he's he's been a starter and just signed a, a twenty seven million dollar deal. So I think that you can be that kind of guy at defensive line and your career is, is going to go pretty well. There's a big difference between being a starting tackle and being a, a swing tackle or a, or a guy who's, who's seen as a depth piece. Yeah, it's a good point how you lay it out there. Okay, Wednesday this week. That'll be our final open OTA session. Joel and I will be out there and then again next week for the mini camp before the Colts take a much-needed, and Joel gets a much-needed break here throughout the month of June and early July. Joel, thanks for the time, man. Yeah, yeah, you bet.